podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Tuesday, the 14th of February. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. Liverpool won a game of football last night, which is a wonderful and rare thing. 2-0 over Everton at Anfield. Mo Salah and Cody Gakpo with the goals. Liverpool looked a bit more like their usual self. Not much more, but a bit more like their usual self. And Everton looked a whole lot like what we'd seen from them in every game prior to last weekend's win over Arsenal. I think the fear that a lot of Liverpool fans had, the trepidation, came from overrating 
that performance against Arsenal. Not that it wasn't a very, very good performance by Everton, but more so that it was completely out of character for this group of players who have been so poor this season. Last night, in the first half, I thought Everton were, they were okay. Liverpool were okay. It wasn't a great half of football. Liverpool go one up on 36 minutes. Seconds after, Everton almost go one up. Tarkovsky's header hits the post, comes back to McNeil. His shot, or half shot, is cleared. And Liverpool rush down the field and score. And Everton this season have been dreadful once they go behind. They only come back to get a point once. That was against Manchester City. That goal on 36 minutes led us to half time, and then Liverpool scored again four minutes into the second half. I think that just killed Everton. They knew they weren't capable of coming from 2-0 behind, or at least they thought they weren't. And it felt like they gave up a little bit, like heads dropped and the air went out of them. And they were very, very sterile and stale after that. Everton are in trouble. They are. They're in big trouble. When we consider that, at the bottom of the table, you have a number of teams who seem to want it more than them. Southampton seem to want to stay up more than them. They've sacked Nathan Jones and they spent a lot of money in January. Bournemouth spent a lot of money in January, being aggressive, trying to make their team better. Leeds spent money in January and they've moved on from their manager as well. West Ham, you would expect that the talent in the squad will be enough to get them out of it. Wolves changed manager earlier this season. They spent money in January. Forrest spent money in January. Leicester spent money in January. Everton changed the manager, but they didn't change the squad. They made no effort to improve. They brought Ellis Sims back from a loan spell at Southampton, at Sunderland, rather, which may actually prove to be detrimental because he was doing well there. And last night he looked way out of his depth against Premier League opposition. And it wasn't like Liverpool had Van Dijk out there. This was Gomez and Matip, both of whom have been very poor this season. Neither of whom are what you call physical central defenders. But Joe Gomez bullied Ellis Sims last night. And you do wonder if maybe for the long-term good of the club, it would have been a lot better to leave him where he was, playing for Sunderland, scoring goals in a team that was winning regularly, chasing promotion. Now he comes back to be a backup at a level he's not quite ready for in a team that's losing most weeks. Everton have taken 18 points from 22 games. And when you look at the 18 points they've gotten, there's very little there that you'd be overly enamoured with. There's nothing you'd be impressed with. They did get a draw away to City. That was a good result. They drew away to Fulham. To be fair, that was a good result. They beat Palace. They beat Southampton. They beat West Ham. They had that four-game unbeaten run. Forest, Brentford, Leeds, Liverpool, four draws. But there's nothing to hang your hat on, bar that win over Arsenal. You know, you expect them to beat Palace at home. When West Ham are down around the foot of the table as well, 
you would expect Everton with the home advantage to win that game. Beating Southampton, it's a 50-50 game. The Arsenal win was the first time they looked like a team that might stay up. And last night, none of what we saw against Arsenal was there. None of that drive was there. None of that desire was there. Whether there was nerves, whether the atmosphere got to them, I don't know. They're going to have to rely heavily on Goodison Park to keep them up, as they did last year. But you look at the run of games they've got coming up now. Leeds at home. Leeds are desperate for the win. Leeds might have a new manager in place. Villa at home. Villa are a significantly better team than Everton right now, though they've lost two in a row. Arsenal away, you know they're going to want revenge for what just took place. Forest away, they're in that relegation group of you know potential teams that could fall out. They're going to want the win. Brentford home, Brentford are really tough to play against. Then Chelsea away, Spurs at home, United at home. Sorry, Chelsea at home, Spurs away, United at home. They're all tough games. You can see them picking up points against Leeds, maybe against Forest and maybe a draw with Brentford. That would be seven points. But that's seven points from eight games. That brings us up to match week 30. There's only eight games left after that. And Everton would have 25 points. They'd still need potentially 13 more to stay up. It starts to get really dicey for them then. And you start to wonder, can they pick up points when the real pressure comes on in the last eight games? Fulham at home, maybe. Palace away, that'll be tough. Newcastle home is going to be real tough. Away to Leicester, away to Brighton. Home to City, who'll be chasing the title. Away to Wolves. Home to Bournemouth on the last day. That one could decide which of them stays up, which goes down. Or it could just be two teams that are going down. It's very hard to see Everton finding their way out of this. There is good players there. There's players that are too good to be in this mess. There's a good 11 there, but that's basically all there is, is an 11. And if any part of it is missing, it's going to be real tough. Like no Calvert-Lewin last night, so they lost their outlet. Sims wasn't able to hold the ball up, wasn't able to back in on defenders and bring others into play. And there's also just this defeated attitude that seems to be rife among the players. You know, a year of working under Lampard really does seem to have done some long-term damage to some of these players, their psyche, their their attitudes, their ability, their tactical awareness. They're a massive club. Now, we've seen massive clubs go down. Newcastle are a massive club. They went down. Villa are a massive club. I would say Villa are bigger than Everton. They went down. Leeds went down. You know, we don't see it all that often but we do see big clubs go down from time to time. And it really does look like Everton, even with Dyche, because when you think about Dyche, he doesn't, I, I, there's, 
there's a view of Dyche that he's the type of manager that keeps you up. But that's based on what he did at Burnley. But at Burnley, the aim was staying up from pre-season onwards. 17th was the goal. Anything above that was euphoria. It's not the case at ever. It's not the case at all. It might be the case now, but he doesn't have a pre-season to work with these players, to galvanise them, to put together a real tactical approach that can go and grind out results game after game after game. He doesn't have the luxury of being able to pick and choose the games they target to win because of the mess that they're in. Now, they're very fortunate that there's been a lot of poor teams in the Premier League this season. Like, realistically, we're looking at anybody from, I would say, Palace down who could go down. Palace, Leicester, Forest, Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth, Southampton. That's nine teams. Nine teams who could go down. You don't normally have that. So Everton are, are lucky in that it's still old. Like there's still teams that can fall back. But they're unlucky in that there's nobody who's yet been cut away. Like often at this point of the season, there's one team that you just know they're gone. But it's not the case this year. Bournemouth are below them, but they're level on points. They've got a better goal difference than Bournemouth. But Bournemouth have a better attack. And defensively, they've made big improvements in January in the signing of Zerbani. Southampton are bottom, but they're only three points behind. Again, Everton have a better defence, but Southampton have a better attack, an attack they've improved in January, as did Bournemouth, and a defence that should get better under a real manager. Now, we'll talk about who their new manager looks like it will be after the break, but if Saints get any kind of bump off that new manager, a couple of wins will see them not just off the bottom of the table, but potentially out of the bottom three. And you start to look around and it is getting difficult to see how Everton will stay up because there just doesn't seem to be any real hope around the club. Not from the fans, not from the players. Even Dyche himself, like he, he doesn't, he doesn't come across as an inspirational type of guy who'll really motivate players to perform at their very best level. We know what Dyche is good at. I'm not sure it's this. I'm not sure it's turning, sinking ships around. As I said before, maybe the best thing for Everton would be to go down. Now, they're not in a situation like Bournemouth or Southampton where they've got squads of really talented young players that they can bounce back with. But there is there is a squad of players there that's capable of winning the championship. Now, we look through the team. Pickford's not going down. So if they go down, they're going to need a new keeper. He's off. But Patterson will be fine. I don't think Tarkovsky's up for a season in the championship, so he'll be off. Michaelenko might stick around. Godfrey will stick around. Cody they don't own. 
Michael Keane might be okay, but do you really want to pay that type of wage in the championship? Because I would nearly bet he doesn't have anything in his contract that cuts his wage if they go down. Mina's not going down. In midfield, I, I just don't see that Onana will stay if they go down. So he goes, you have to replace him. I think Dukure's at a contract at the end of the year. There's talks of a new deal for a Wobi, but if they go down, he's not going to want to stay. Tom Davies will. James Garner will. Idrissagana Gay won't. McNeil probably would. But you're looking at a lot of players that need to be replaced. And other than whatever you get for Pickford and what you get for Onana, there's not going to be a lot of money there to spend because the one you would have been looking at and thinking, well, they can sell him for big money would have been Calvert-Lewin. But because he's been so injury prone for 18 months now, it's very hard to see who'd take a gamble on him. And if they were willing to take a gamble, how big of a gamble? Like there was talk, not this past summer, the summer before, that Manchester United wanted Dominic Calvert-Lewin and were willing to pay in the region of 65 to 70 million for him, which was understandable considering the seasons he was coming off. He'd had two really good years, scoring 15 in 41 and then 21 in 39. And at that point, he was 24 years of age, didn't really have any track record of injury. But now in the last two years, last season he played 18 games in all competitions, scored five goals. This season he's played 12 in all competitions, has one goal. So that value will have cratered. Add to that that back in 2021, he was a regular in the England squad. And not just as a squad player, he was scoring. He had four goals in 11 appearances. He hasn't been in an England squad since 2021. So his values has tanked massively. And that's going to be difficult. Like, do you bring him down? Can you afford to keep him? Can you afford the wages? I think they're in real bother. Like, if they go down, it's going to be really hard for them to to come straight back up. But what it might allow them to do is almost have a complete institutional reset where they clear off all these high-earning overpaid players who have underperformed these contracts for years and and maybe start afresh. Maybe instead of buying, you know, you sell Onana and rather than buying, say, I don't know, you sell them for 60, 20 goes towards the, you know, the shortfall in money and you buy two 20 million pound players. Maybe you buy four 10 million pound players. And you hope that three of them hit. And maybe you do the same with Pickford. You take the 25 million you get from, you put five towards, five or 10 towards making up the financial shortfall and you buy two for seven and a half million, a goalkeeper and something else. And you go for younger, hungry players with a higher upside who you can develop together. But then the question is, is Sean Dyche the guy to manage that team doesn't really have a track record of being someone overly enamored with younger players. Like it, it, it would be a good thing for them to rid themselves of a lot of these contracts and a lot of these players and maybe just try a complete cultural reset 
similar to what Burnley have done, in fairness. But shifting some of them will be very hard. will be very hard. And it would mean probably having to accept, you know, two years, three years maybe in the championship. And that's a demanding fan base who I think rightly hold their ownership in contempt. And it could get very toxic, especially if there's any kind of delay on the new stadium. Like no matter what happens, if they go down, that stadium has to get finished. And it has to get finished on time. Because there has to be some sort of some sort of light at the end of the tunnel for those fans to focus on. Yeah, we're in the championship, but we've got this new stadium coming. And off the back of that, they can get maybe a bit more positive about the experience of being in the championship. Because you look at Aston Villa, they went down, they spent three years or so in the championship and they came back up a much better club. And maybe going down is what will push Mashiri out the door and new owners will come in. And maybe they're not going to be mega rich owners who throw money around, but maybe they'll be smart owners. Maybe you'll look your way into a Tony Bloom or uh, a Matthew Benham, or maybe you look your way into Wes Edens, who's willing to spend a bit of money, but is also a smart guy, but also ambitious. For now, all we can do is speculate, but I mean, they just, they look like a team that's kind of at the end of the end of the rope and set for relegation. Liverpool showed flashes last night that suggest that maybe they can turn their season around. They're nine points behind Newcastle with the game in hand and they play Newcastle next. If they can beat Newcastle, and win that game at hand. That's only three points. And based on what we've seen from both clubs in recent years, I think you'd back Liverpool to finish ahead of Newcastle if they can get within that three-point gap. Um, We have games tonight in the Champions League. We have Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich, which should be a belter. And we have AC Milan against Tottenham. Tottenham topped Group D ahead of Eintracht, Sporting and Marseille. And Milan finished second in their group behind Chelsea, ahead of Red Bull Salzburg and Dinamo Zagreb. Bayern topped their group, 18 points from 18. That was Group C, ahead of Inter Milan, Barcelona and Victoria Plisson. And PSG surprisingly finished second in their group behind Benfica, ahead of Juve and ahead of Maccabee Haifa. PSG Bayern is the it's the tie of the round. It's the, the glamour tie. And it's a big test for both sides. I mean, Bayern have been playing fairly well of late. They've got a new system, a new shape that they're working out. It seems a bit more balanced than what we'd seen earlier in the season from them, though the Champions League results were excellent. PSG PSG aren't really a team. They're a collection of star individuals. But because of some of the work they did in the summer, they actually have resembled a bit more of a team. Now, their fans haven't been overly impressed by what they've seen. And we're seeing picturing, uh, we're seeing outside the, 
PSG Stadium booing players leaving training and giving them abuse. Uh, it must be very tough on PSG fans when you consider that at the moment they sit top of the French League, uh, five points ahead of Marseille. Uh, they've already won the French Super Cup. They did go out in the French Cup. They were knocked out by Marseille, and maybe that was the cause of the temper tantrums. They did lose to Monaco in the most recent game, but they're still top of the league by five points. Uh, this is what happens when a club that historically hasn't had great success gets all the money in the world and buys a bunch of success. I mean, you think PSG, 10 league titles in their history, eight of them since they got the Qatari money. Fourteen French Cups, seven of them since they got the Qatari money. Uh, what are we looking at? Nine League Cups, I think six of them since they got the Qatari money. But the big disappointment is they've never won the Champions League, very similar to Man City in many ways. But you look at the team, and it is—it's just a collection of individuals. There's no real, no real team. There's no structure there. But Galtier has done, I think, a pretty good job at forging what is a functional team as opposed to you attack and we'll defend and the lads in the middle and just run around a bit, which is what they've been under Pochettino. That one should be good. I think Tottenham, Milan will be good. It's a big occasion for Conte bringing his team back to Italy to face his greatest rival, AC Milan, both as a player and a manager. He's Milan have always been the team he's wanted to impress against the most. So that one should be good as well. Um, tonight's game is definitely better than tomorrow night's games, though tomorrow nights are, are, are pretty good as well. I think there's, it's a good round of 16. Uh, PSG, Bayern, Milan, Tottenham, Club Bruges, Benfica, Dortmund, Chelsea, Liverpool, Madrid, Eintracht, Napoli, Leipzig, City, Inter, Porto. I think all those ties are relatively well-balanced. I mean, you'd expect City to beat Leipzig, but Leipzig, I think, will cause them some trouble. You'd expect Milan to beat Liverpool, all th- or Madrid to beat Liverpool, all things considered. But Madrid are in poor form as well. Dortmund, you wouldn't expect them to beat Chelsea, but I think they'll definitely cause them problems. And Chelsea are struggling to score goals, so that could be a factor. So yeah, tonight we'll kick off a decent round. Game two tonight, two tomorrow, two next Tuesday, two next Wednesday. Uh, that's what we've got. We'll take a break there. When we come back, we have some news coming out of Southampton, and we'll talk about that. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So it looks like Southampton, who sacked Nathan Jones on Sunday, have already made a decision about who his replacement will be, and it looks like it is going to be Jesse Marsh. It appears like Jesse Marsh getting sacked from Leeds might have actually been the accelerant on Southampton's decision to get rid of Nathan Jones. I don't generally, as a rule, like when a manager gets sacked and jumps straight into another job. I didn't like it, for example, when Dean Smith 
was sacked by Villa and immediately jumped into the Norwich job within a week. And I don't like this for Marsh. I don't really think Jesse Marsh is the right person to take on this type of task. But I do like him as a manager. And I do think he plays good football. I think he had a lot of bad luck at Leeds where they played a lot of good football and they were the better team in a lot of games. But because they had no striker, because Bamford was injured, they couldn't score goals. And then they had weak links in defence, largely Liam Cooper and Luke Ayling and Melier, who would cost them goals. Now, Southampton have some of the same struggles. They haven't scored enough goals this season and defensively they do make a lot of errors. But they've also got a lot of the same strengths that Leeds had and maybe the business they did in January proves more beneficial for Marsh than it was going to prove for Nathan Jones. So he traditionally will line his team up in 4-2-3-1. Melier was the goalkeeper at Leeds. He'll have Basunu at City. Basunu is a similar type of goalkeeper and that he's a sweeper-keeper. He's young. He's inexperienced. I think he's more talented than Melier, but I could be biased on that one. I'll admit that. So he'll be the keeper. Fullback, assuming everybody's fit, my expectation is that Walker-Peters plays right back and Roman Perot plays left back. I think the experiment of James Bree, who was really only brought in so that Nathan Jones would have somebody in the dressing room who might listen to him, will be over. And I think it's going to be a short career at Southampton for James Bree, who's a solid player. just don't think he's a Premier League caliber player. A centre-back, I think Bella Kotchup will come back in. But it wouldn't surprise me if the other centre-back was Coletta Carr rather than Salisu. I think Bednarak, he's had such a a poor season. And in fact, such a poor season and a half that maybe you might just want to leave him sat in the stands. Have Bella Kotchup and Coletta Carr as your starting pair with Lianco and Salisu as the backups and Bednarak as the fifth choice in case of emergency break glass. So that's the back four. I think that can be a solid back four. He likes to have two in midfield that can be ball winners and be a solid base. Lavia will be one, and I think he will go with Diallo as the other. I think we'll see them play as the double pivot. And I think he might use Ward-Prowse as a 10 and try and get him more involved in the final third, try and get him more shooting opportunities. Also give him a bit more freedom to move, to to drift wide and get crosses in, rather than having him having to do a lot of dog work in central midfield. I think he might free him up a bit further forward. If he can get him into those areas where he can drop into little pockets of space and get crosses in, they've got a six foot seven striker now. And that, could be something that becomes really beneficial. Then in the wide areas, I think Suleiman is nailed on to be one. He likes pace. He likes trickery. He likes guys that can dribble, carry the ball, beat men 1v1. So I think he's nailed on to be one of them. And there are options for the other because 
Suleimana can play either side. But they've also got, I mean, Joe Rebo could play wide if you want them to. It wouldn't necessarily be ideal, but Mislav Orsic can, is, is a, naturally a wide player, can be creative from there. Sekou Mara, super exciting young player. Musa Gineppo, who hasn't consistently shown what, what he's capable of, but when he when he is on form, is a good player. Al Yunasi is a decent player, and this season he's been pretty okay. Samuel Adozi, another super exciting young player they've got there. Carlos Alcaraz could play wide. Now, he's not the type that will beat players, but could give you good delivery. And then there's the option, of course, of playing Walcott, but the less said about that, the better. I think there is a team here. I've said it before. I actually think there's a really, really exciting young eleven at this club if you swap out Livermento into the team for... Walker Peters, who you'd sell if you if you went down or whatever. Um, the same at left back with Larios for Perot, Belakoch and Salisu. Um, Salisu he hasn't kicked on the way you'd hope, but that would be fine. That midfield, and then you know pick whichever two wingers you want. Um, without question, Sulemana will be one, and then the other, I think, either Adozi or or Mara. That number 10 role there is that's where you would use Alcaraz if you didn't have Ward Prowse. And then obviously they bring in their their new striker as well, um Onoachua, who Onoachu, Onoachu, who isn't young but is, you know, a new recruit and a proven goal scorer, certainly in Denmark and in, in Belgium. If you can get in the service. And maybe it's something as rudimentary as just flinging crosses in at him and allowing him to use his height and getting others in and around the box. And that's where I think Ward-Prowse has the advantage where if there's a cross coming from wide and he's central on a knockdown, there's few you'd want more than Ward-Prowse coming on and striking first time. So I think Marsh, I think the players are definitely there for Jesse Marsh. It's It's going to be about whether or not he can get a solid base quickly because under Hasselhutl, they were very frantic defensively and very open. I don't know what they were under Nathan Jones, but none of it was good. Thankfully, Jones wasn't there long enough to do the type of damage that Lampard did at Everton. But it's a big job for whoever walks in. And if it's Jesse Marsh, then it's Jesse Marsh. Like I said, I don't think it's the right move for him. I don't know if it's the right move for for them. If it was pre-season, I would say ideal appointment. If it was pre-season and he'd been sacked four months ago, I'd say ideal. But in this scenario, it's tougher. It is tougher. Guy is informing me that Nuno Espirito Santo and Steven Gerrard are currently both 3-1 to one and favourites for the Leeds job. Nuno is a much better manager than Steven Gerrard. I would have said Nuno for this job um, because, I, again, I, I think the players could fit very well into his 3-4-3 or 3-5-2, whichever way he wanted to work it. Um, but it, it looks like it's going to be Jesse Marsh. And congrats to him on a new position. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I think... If they can get a if they can get a new manager bounce 
and there's like there's more than enough talent there to win win some games in this league. More than enough talent. What have they got coming up? Chelsea away is going to be tough. That's fair enough. Then it's Leeds away, which could be interesting. Then they get Grimsby in the cup. Then Leicester in the league. And if they could get a bounce through Chelsea and Leeds and pick up maybe four points from those two games, that would be hugely beneficial because after that, they play three or four at home in the league. Leicester, Brentford and Tottenham with a trip to Old Trafford to play United in the middle of that. So they they could potentially beat Leicester and Brentford at home. Brentford will be tough. Leicester might be a bit easier. You don't know what Tottenham you'll get week to week. They just they need to give themselves a fighting chance. If they can do that, if they if they can do that, it's up to anybody. You know, come the last five, six games of the season, we may well have a situation like we do now where you've got nine teams that you could see going down. It might slim down to seven. But if there's seven, everybody has a fighting chance. And Saints just need to make sure they have a fighting chance. That's what they need to ensure. Because you don't want to go into those games six or seven points off safety. You want to be three points off at most, like they are now. Um, Right. Pick your combined Manchester United and Arsenal. Sorry, Manchester City and Arsenal 11. Uh, don't like either of the goalkeepers, but I do think Ederson is the better goalkeeper. Right back, I, I maintain Tommy Asu is the better right back at Arsenal. I think he's the best right back for the two clubs. Ruben Diaz and Laporte is easy for centre-back. Left back, I'll go Zinchenko on the basis that City don't have a left back. In midfield, De Bruyne or Odegaard is fairly Easy as good as as good as Odegaard has been this year. It is De Bruyne. It's Rodri as the six, without a doubt. And the third midfielder, I will go Ilkay Gundogan over Granit Xhaka. In attack, it's definitely Bakayo Saka on the right. It's Phil Foden on the left, and it is Erling Haaland through the middle. So I've got eight City players. And three Arsenal players. Ederson, Tomiyasu, Diaz, Laporte, Zinchenko, De Bruyne, Rodri, Gundogan, Saka, Haaland and Foden. Yeah, so basically the City team, other than I'd take Tomiyasu over Walker. I'd take Zinchenko over whoever's playing left-back for City at the moment. And I'd go Saka over... Bernardo, though I love Bernardo Silva, but I, well, it's it's, it's Mares that plays there most often. But I would still go Saka. Uh, so there's that. And I think that is basically all I have for today. So I think we'll just do the gossip and be done. Atletico Madrid could sell Joe Felix to Chelsea for $88 million this summer. They had been asking for $124 million. It's from some crappy Spanish outlets. I wouldn't put too much faith into it. Chelsea's USA midfielder Christian Pulisic could be heading in the opposite direction to Felix as Atletico Madrid consider a cut price bid for the 24-year-old. Again, it's a crappy Spanish outlet, so we won't put too much in it. Real Madrid are targeting Dusan Vlahovic and Richarlison as long-term replacements for Karim Benzema. Vlahovic, I can understand, not Richarlison. 
uh, he's it's not that he's a bad player, but he's not a nine, and you need a nine. Manchester United face making a forty million pound loss on Harry Maguire if he leaves this summer. That would suggest they're going to sell him for forty million. They'll be lucky to get twenty five million for Harry Maguire. Paris Saint-Germain are ready to put Neymar on the transfer list this summer. We've been hearing this for years. Uh, Qatar Investment Authority will make a formal bid in the region of $5 billion to buy Manchester United in their entirety this week. Um, I don't know what to believe, to be honest. Bayern Munich will not sign Marcus Turam, but both Inter Milan and AC Milan remain keen. Bayern Munich have turned their attention back to Harry Kane with Frankfurt's 24-year-old Randall Colomuani lined up as an alternative. They're very different types of players. Like, if you don't get Kane, Vlavic is the obvious one to go and get. 17-year-old Atletico Perenines forward Vitor Roque, uh, who recently helped Brazil win the South American Under-20 Championship, is top of Arsenal's summer transfer list. I wouldn't imagine he's top of Arsenal's transfer list. Spain midfielder Sergio Roberto has agreed a contract extension at Barcelona. Leeds look set to appoint a short-term manager and reassess at the end of the season after failing in their attempt to get number one target and Doni Iraola. Um, Arnie Slot was seemingly kind of a cone number one. It looks like they failed on him as well. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to this. Uh, this piece in The Guardian says that Marcelo Gallardo is unavailable. I'm not sure how, considering he's out of work. Uh, apparently, he doesn't want to join. So he's not unavailable. He's unwilling to join a club during a campaign. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of does make sense. But Nuno might take it on a short-term basis. Uh, Jesse Marsh, Southampton. Bayern Munich's Austrian midfielder Marcel Sabitzer says he's feeling good during his loan spell at Manchester United and is open to a permanent move. And finally, contract talks between Chelsea and Mason Mount have stalled. The 24-year-old has less than 18 months to run on his current deal. I do think he will leave this summer. I think he's probably looked at the landscape, looked at the amount of players brought in, looked at the culture of Bowley and probably doesn't see it as the best place for him moving forward. Mason Mount is an excellent player, regardless of the fact that he's having a poor season. He is an excellent player. He's proven to be an excellent player. He's proven he's more than good enough to play at the highest level. Um, He was arguably the best team in the team that won the Champions League. Last season, he scored 13 goals in all competitions, the season before nine, the season before eight. Plays 50-odd games every season, doesn't get injured. He's had good loans in the championship and the area divisi, so he's been battle-hardened. He's got 36 England caps. He's only 24 years of age, just turned 24 as well. I don't understand how anybody, like I've seen Liverpool fans say they wouldn't want him. I just, I don't understand. This is a really good player who is the prototype of what Jurgen Klopp wants. Now, if Liverpool sign him instead of Bellingham, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because they could get another really good midfielder. If you can get Mount, in fact, for the money for Bellingham, you'd probably get Mount and two others. But if you can get Mount and one other really good midfielder, that probably improves you more than just signing Jude. If they buy Jude and Mount, they're going to need to change the shape because it won't work in a 
you'll need to change the shape to go to either a box midfield or a diamond midfield. But again, both of them would, would flourish. They play Jude as an eight in the diamond and Mount as the 10. Or if you're playing a box midfield, you play them as dual 10s who drop wide out of possession. And I think that would work perfectly for both of them. Jude on the right of it, Mount on the left of it. Thiago plus one in midfield. That's ideal if you get the right one in midfield. And then Diaz works in that shape as well because he can fill in for either Mount or Bellingham. You've got Salah, Darwin, Jota and Gakpo as options up front. Elliot Jones and Carvalho all fit better in a box midfield as well. I mean, it it literally suits most of the squad. The only ones it doesn't suit would be like Henderson and Milner, players you should be moving on from anyway. So, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely on board with Mason Mount to Liverpool if that works out. Uh, that is going to do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will speak to you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Network.